London Property, home of Super Prime, where you can find informative, educational and entertaining content covering all aspects of property. Hello and welcome to London Property, home of Super Prime. I'm your host Farnaz Fazaipo and today we're in conversation with Marvin Smith, who is a solicitor specialising in Landlord and Tenant Act. And uh, amongst many things she does, she educates a lot of people in the industry and uh, is an expert on the subject. Welcome to the show, Marvin. Thank you very much for that. So uh, let's hear from you um, your own story of how you got to be an expert in this field. I started off doing training because a solicitor said to me I was better than him, so I should do it. And I did. So that's how I started in residential landlord and tenant law. And that led me on to qualify as a solicitor and then start Payne Smith. And you can say I've been here in Hampshire at Payne Smith ever since. I still do training, now by webinars, which I must admit I don't find quite as satisfying as face-to-face. But I still enjoy, I really enjoy being with the agents. I enjoy hearing the problems and keeping up to date with it. We've got help in our office, and that serves the same purpose. So I know what is going on out there which actually helps the firm greatly as well, so we can help the agents while we work. So um, basically, what, what, what would you say um, are what sets you apart from, from other solicitors? I mean, a lot of people think if I speak to a lawyer, then the lawyer knows everything about law. But actually specialising is really quite important, isn't it? And then the Landlord and Tenant Act in particular is, is a very specialised area. So what would you say are the sort of unique selling points, as it were, for what you do? Well, the unique selling point is Pensmith only do residential landlord and tenant law. That's all we do. Um, I don't try and specialise in anything else. I don't deal with anything else. I turn down conveyancing, partly because I hate it, uh, wills and probate, everything. And I think more and more solicitors are specialists, but some try and meddle in everything. I am not denigrating any high street lawyer because I think they offer a good all-round service for many people. But I think nowadays the law is so complex that solicitors have to have to specialise. So today we wanted to speak to you uh, about about a particular subject uh, that might be of interest to our listeners, and that is what should consumers be aware of? What are the agents in the UK regulated? How are they regulated in any way, would you say? The Professional bodies like Property Mark do try and regulate them. In fact, there's a working party on residential landlord and tenant law and regulating property agents that actually gave their report three years ago and it's sort of laid in the mire ever since. So it's never been implemented by government. Whether it will be in the future, we don't know. But the industry is moving towards regulation. Uh, property Mark have had qualification for many, many years, which I was involved in at one time. They use Manchester Open Learning now. They've got manuals, etc., and go for distance learning. And interestingly, your listeners might be want to know that Rightmove this morning have launched a certificate, and that will actually be face-to-face well, webinar tuition, which will be very popular because it's not just not just as distance learning, and it's free, which makes a big, big difference. So it's free to all their members, but it's a big, big difference to a lot of these lettings agents out there because many of them haven't got a lot of money to spend on training, and yet they want to do the best by their staff and the best by their firm, and by the, in that way, the best by their customers. 
So actually, it's interesting that although the market is not a regulated market, and unlike the US where you have to have uh, licenses, uh, what has happened over the decades that I've certainly been in the market, and, and, and likewise for you, is that there is self-regulation, isn't it? Because people want to have that stamp of approval so that when they try and go about doing their business, they're actually respected for what they do. Very much so. I think agents are keen to be up to date. They're keen to give, give good service to their clients. And therefore, they actually want to be members of professional bodies and make sure the standards are good. Yeah, so, so it's a lot of self-training, isn't it? So what are the laws that actually govern lettings agents uh, um, that consumers need to know? There is a lot of legislation now on, on agents. Estate agency, not so much. Estate Agents Act 1979, which has always been the Bible by which they're judged, no conflict of interest, various things like that, what they can and cannot do. Um, the big thing now for both sales and lettings agents is the Consumer Protection from Unfair Trading Regs 2008, which says you've got to declare everything regarding a property to anybody on the first viewing, which means that if you know perfectly well there's planning permission to put a penthouse on, the, on the, the, the roof above this flat, you've got to declare it. I think the biggest problem agents face there is that landlords can be economic with the truth if you think it might be to their detriment. I don't say consumer rights that consumer rights and consumer law is really impinging on residential lettings now. That's impinging the way we write tenancy agreements and everything we do. There's a lot of other legislation coming as well. Most of it on the side of the tenant. Um, the Housing Act 2004 with, with the HHSRS, where environmental health have got, a, have got a lot of control over properties. You've got the Deregulation Act 2015, which of course said, if you don't keep it in repair, no section 21, which I'm afraid many agents use, or suffer from it rather, by the way their tenants use it incorrectly to almost bully them and use it as a way of not getting... Of, trying to prevent possession in a county court. You've got the latest one, which is the Homes Fitness for Human Habitation Act 2018. That's much more for a wealthy tenant who can actually take a landlord to court and get damages as well as getting work carried out if they think the property is not being maintained to a standard fit for habitation. There's a lot of legislation out there that's just skating the surface of it. And it's an awful lot for agents to actually remember to follow day to day. And that's not thinking of the basic Landlord and Tenant Act 1985, which everybody knows, with regard to repair, statutory repairing obligations. There is a lot of legislation. They're hampered by a lot of legislation. But good agents know it and they abide by it. So on, on the subject of that, uh, we talked about agents, you know, are, are pretty much self-regulating themselves because a lot of what they do isn't actually an, an obligation to to keep themselves up to date with the law. If you were to give advice to an agent to have a kind of proper checklist that they should abide by, um, what would be your sort of top things on that list that they should make as a standard way of operating? I think be part of a professional body. It gives a lot of help. They usually training available there's seven there's uh, conferences they've got a compliance department who will give out information i think it's really good plus of course if it all goes pear-shaped they would pick up all the pieces and pay back any landlords who missed out 
I think also making sure you've got your client money protection, which of course is the law now. And every agent should have client money protection. I would probably say many agents do not, because we all know the good agents do it and the bad agents just flout it and very often get away with it. I would make sure they're part of a scheme for deposits. My junior staff carry out possession proceedings all the time. You'd be shocked the number of properties we get where the deposit has not been protected. You'd be shocked how many landlords, for example, don't know anything about deposit protection. That is unforgivable if they've used an agent, because surely the agent should have told them about it. But some agents are not protected deposits, which of course leaves the landlord very vulnerable, because if the agent does stop trading, the landlord has got to repay that deposit to the tenant, and he'll be liable for the penalty of doing one to three times the deposit. So it can be quite burdensome for a landlord. Um, I would say good terms and conditions. Remember what you can charge the tenant. Look at the Tenant Fees Act 2019. You can still make some charges for losses suffered by the landlord. Um, I would say also making sure that you do give good customer service, good client service. Go and visit that property as soon as you get the call. Make sure you take decent photographs. I was reading an article the other day which said what really annoys sellers and, 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 and uh, landlords is agents going with their cameras and taking appalling photographs of their property, especially on the selling side. So I think making sure that you have good systems there, making sure that your staff know the points that people need or should be aware of in letting their property out. Most landlords are totally ignorant. And therefore, I think almost a checklist agents of what the agent should be telling them. Um, in fact, Complialex, which, which is an organisation which we do work with and write a lot of, the, a lot of their stuff, have produced a, a checklist, which actually will be available shortly on the Paintsmith website. And that will be very useful for it to give to landlords. Anything to actually, I think, make sure that you're giving an upfront service and guiding that landlord along the route. But if your terms of business are good enough, that tells them exactly what he has to do, what you do, and that helps a lot. And that's quite an important document to keep up to date, isn't it? Because legislation changes all the time and it's not right. I've done my terms and conditions, I can forget about that. You do really need to keep updating it, don't you? Yes, you do. And actually, the thing that I'm concentrating a lot on now is actually making sure there's protection for the agent. You know, just protection. Like you will not sue a member of our staff. Yes, OK, we're, this agency is vulnerable if we have actually done something incorrectly. I'm afraid that you're the bottom of the pile agents, the easiest people to sue, and landlords always consider suing the agent. People say they can't sue us. Everybody can sue anybody. I'm not saying they'd win. It's the amount of time and effort you put into it when the landlord unjustifiably makes a complaint and tenants unjustifiably make complaints. So I think this is very much all about protection, making sure you carry out that service. You've got, you've got as much protection as you can to prevent any action being taken against you, whether it's through the ombudsman, because, again, that's very time-consuming, or through the county court. It's interesting you say that because I've always said that, that, you know, uh, landlords often take out uh, their frustration on the agent because the tenant can just leave and go. And, yes. you know, the one person who's constant and, and you know where to find them, how to get to them 
is the agent. So the hope is that there is a way of saying, right, it was negligence, it's your fault. Um, so we've we've touched on a lot of subjects, a, a, a lot of topics around um, how an agent to operate uh, should operate and how they could improve themselves and get themselves more educated in the subject. And I was going to ask what should a consumer be looking for when choosing an agent? And I guess we could take away from what you've already said, uh, that they should belong to a governing body and they should be protecting deposits and, and understanding all of those things. Is there anything else a consumer should be looking for when they're choosing an agent? I think rapport is good. And actually, ease of, of communicating with them. Do they answer the telephone? You may say, well, of course they answer the telephone, Marvin. A lot of people do not. And I'll tell you what, I can't stand it when I get on the phone and you get about four or five choices, then you get another three choices, then you get two more choices um, of numbers you've got to press to get through to somebody. And very often it's a case of you get an offhand person. I'm quite shocked sometimes, and this is agents I'm speaking about who don't know who I am when I phone. Um, they can be so offhand, oh, they're not here. Well, what are you going to do about it then? You should be doing something, not just saying, well, you know, who are you sort of saying, go away? And you do, I, I do get that, and it still surprises me. And my staff are trained that they better not say that. I'm not saying that it doesn't happen, but it's, they're certainly trained not to do that. And I think, actually, perhaps agents, I wouldn't say all, some of them need to do a bit more training and just customer service. You know, who's the most important person? Your customer, your client. Remembering, by the way, the client is the landlord, not the tenant. The stop phrase of a tenant is, you're my agent. You're not. You work for the landlord. And a lot of agents forget that. They often know the tenant well. They don't know the landlord so well. They start taking sides with the tenant. You've got to always remember who pays your wages. And I think some agents do forget that. So that's the most important thing in dealing with your clients. They pay your wages. That's right. So, so you you have to be acting in the in the in the client's best interest. In this case, being the landlord, and and you have a duty of care, right, to the to the tenants. And what does that mean, actually, the duty of care? I say duty of care. It said here's the tenancy agreement. If you don't understand it, go to go to Citizens Advice. It's not Citizens Advice Bureau anymore. It's Citizens Advice or a solicitor. No, I can't advise you. And, for example, let only landlord, they come into you partway through the tenancy and say the landlord's not carrying out repairs. What do I do? You don't promptly sit down and tell them what they can do against the landlord. Again, citizen's advice or a solicitor, I cannot help you. It's a conflict of interest. Under common law of agency, that's the one thing an agent's got to avoid. So it's making sure that they actually always act for that client. And the duty of care is just making sure the property's safe. You know, you wouldn't put somebody into an unsafe property. And you'd be surprised how often I get that. Where, for example, I had one where the, the boiler was condemned by two tradesmen. The agent sent a third one down and the, the person ended up, the tenant ended up in hospital with carbon monoxide poisoning. And their reply, their, their question to me was, am I liable? Well, of course you're liable because you should actually, you did have a duty of care to make sure that person was safe. You should have sent three tradesmen down to a, a boiler that was condemned. And so it's a case of making sure the tenant's safe, making sure you, you carry out repairs, but most important to you, that actually make sure your landlord understands his obligations of what he's got to do. So um, you mentioned at the beginning of the call that you've got this helpline. First of all, can you tell us a bit more about how does that helpline work and, and, and who can subscribe to it um, before I ask my next question? 
And Eddie Agents, Eddie Delight Landlord can subscribe to it. Um, it's an annual subscription. But for that, you get 15 free documents and more now. Uh, we include like a new tenancy agreement every year, an assured short-term tenancy agreement for each different scheme. I write them. I write all of the documents. Um, we include things like deed of guarantee, deed of assignment, deed of variation. We include an abandonment letter, which I'm almost very wary of because it's a huge risk. We include all sorts of other documents. We've included this this year. We've included the a license for Ukrainian refugees. We've got a lot of agents asking for that. So there's about lots and lots of free documents, which actually, if people bought the documents, would cost more than the annual subscription of the helpline. And we answer Monday to Friday, nine to five thirty. You don't get told to know it's too expensive. You've got to pay for it. You don't get get a reply back within three hours. We answer straight away, and. All my staff are well trained to answer it, and they do. And so, if anybody's concerned, you just pick up the phone and ring us. They actually find often we're most busy in August when senior people are away, and they say, "Look, if you're stuck, ring Payne Smith, and we we're there to to hold their hand and guide them through while the other principals are having, we hope, a good holiday." That's so. That's a very useful thing for our listeners to know. So, <clears throat> now, what would you say has been a trend that you've noticed uh, over the past kind of year or so or a couple of years that um, you're receiving on the, on the call centres? I would say that tenants are getting a lot more difficult and a lot more savvy. There's so much on the internet, not always correct, regarding deposits. And there's a lot of solicitors, what I call ambulance chasing solicitors, who will do no window fee. I think it's crucial that deposits are protected. It's so easy for a tenant to take a, 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 an agent to court for between one and three times the deposit. And I think also being aware that agents must be aware, it's not just making sure you protect the deposit, you've got to comply with the rules of the scheme. So, for example, DPS, you've got to serve the terms and conditions of DPS. With TDS, you've got to serve the leaflet. We have just settled a case where the tenant was claiming £96,000. It was a long-term tenancy, but that the deposit had been protected, but not but the, the terms and conditions of DPS had not been served. And the agent actually said to me, don't know what you're talking about, can't see any problem at all, we're not doing anything about it, which I was quite appalled at. But the tenant there was quite savvy, um, well, in fact, very savvy, and our, our landlord didn't really have a leg to stand on. The tenancy had gone from probably nearly 10 years, which is why the sum is so large. But yes, we're finding that is happening all the time, deposits. The other thing is uh, lack of the alleged, quote, lack of repair, unquote. And I would say solicitors really do bilk that one. Tenants allege lack of repair. And if you, if you go to court and they say lack of repair, a judge is not going to hear the matter straight away. He's going to adjourn it. You'd give them a chance for a defence. It's the stock answer that tenants are told to give. And it can be twisted. We had one case which demonstrates that really well of what happened. They instructed a solicitor saying lack of repair. And apparently the washing machine wasn't working at all. And the, the tenant had to go and buy a new one. Well, we had proof that it was 10 days for the end of the tenancy and the washing machine went kaput. Landlord said, I'm going to renovate the whole house once they leave. So I'm not buying a new machine, but what I'll do is I'll pay her parking costs and I'll pay for her to go to a laundrette. That was sort of missed out. 
So we had proof of that one. Next thing was to hold the boss. Well, we had proof that we sent a contractor down and her husband opened their door and said, oh, that's fine, mate, I fixed it. That was it. So these things twisted round. And I think it's very important that the agent notes down, as they've got to do with the Deregulation Act 2015, what that repair is, replies by email. Everything should be an email and you must keep all that correspondence because tenants are really... They speak about rogue landlords and rogue agents. I'm fed up of hearing about that. They seem to forget rogue tenants. They're not all angels. Many of them are abysmal. And I would usually say the more rent they pay, the worse they are. But it's a case of you've got to make sure that you've, you've protected yourself and your client against tenants and not give them the opportunity, if possible, to, to actually raise complaints about lack of repair or anything else. Um, I remember the days where <clears throat> there was professional tenants who actually knew the Landlord and Tenant Act and would walk around living for months and months and months for free because they knew how to manipulate the law. So, uh, yeah, no, it is, it is, it is, a, it is a real topic. Um, so apart from, you know, all the, th- all the things that we're saying here that uh, agents should do and all the regulations that we're governed by, there is also the fact that if something ends up in court and you haven't protected the deposit or you haven't served the right notices and so on, it can actually not be heard. Isn't that right or am I wrong? If you haven't protected the deposit, you can easily sort it, provided you've got a, de- a solicitor who knows what they're doing. This is where you shouldn't be using the high street solicitor. You've got to use somebody who knows what they're doing. You can easily just return the deposit. You can easily serve the prescribed information again. Okay, there's still that penalty hanging over your head, but it can all be sorted before you get to court. I think this is where agents have got to trust the solicitor and actually say, right, okay, this is what it is. The number You'd be surprised, as I said, the number of times we get deposits not protected. Not always just where landlord has managed the property themselves. Very often it's the agent. Sometimes it's just unfortunate. We're not all perfect. Um, something always slips through the net. But there's ways to remedy these things before you go to court. The one thing you do not want to be told is the day before you go to court or the day of going to court that there's an issue. I always say you get it all sorted out because before you issue proceedings, it's getting so hard to get into court. It takes so long now. The process is so convoluted and tenants do issue issue defences, which actually makes it longer and longer, more expensive for the landlord. It's a case of making sure every T is crossed, every I is dotted early on. So making sure you've given all the information to the solicitor, the solicitor making sure if you suddenly realise the deposit wasn't protected till six weeks, you tell them straight away so we know. I'll give you a good example. We have got to tick on one of the boxes um, how the documents were served on the tenant at the start of the tenancy and whether they can be served by email. Now, we asked an agent that the other day, and they said, oh, I'm sure we did. We definitely know we told them we're going to serve it by email. They've been very reticent in producing any evidence whatsoever. Now, I'm the person who's got to sign these forms, saying I believe what is in these, these court forms is true. And I'm not going to sign if the agent goes, well, we think so. How do you get around that? It's quite simple. On your application form, or as another document, the tenant or the applicant signs, 
before at the start of the tenancy, I put their Fred blogs, confirm the following documents can be served to me by email at this email address. They sign it, they date it, how to the documents are how to write handbook, EPC, EICR, gas safety certificate, and of course prescribed information. And therefore you can serve them all by email. And remember, it's got to be each person forming the tenant, not just one of them. It's got to be everybody. And Mr. and Mrs., one to Mr., one to Mrs. That's a really important point. And agents always express surprise when I say that. Section 21, one to each person. A letter to each person. You write all the names of it, one to each person. So it's crucial you actually protect yourself. It's these small points that actually can make a big, big difference to an agent and a landlord. And you said at the beginning of this uh, conversation that, you know, the, the, the lettings agents have a lot more regulation than, than the sales agents do, but also a letting agent actually manages the whole transaction, whereas a sales agent, you know, pretty much passes on from the word where the offer is accepted. It goes on to solicitors and then they don't really need to be involved in those details. So it's, it's not a surprise that uh, you know, in my opinion, the lettings industry has always been more regulated than, than the sales industry, self-regulated and regulated by, by continuous changes in legislation. It's actually making it impossible for people to, to do things without agents because you really need to know a lot. Well, I don't think landlords can manage their properties at all now. It's far too complicated. Just the amount of legislation, just what they've got to do. I think they really do need agents. If you look at all the safety regulations, for example, and you know, landlords, they don't sort of think, oh, I've got to renew that gas safety certificate. You know, I would say an awful lot of let-only landlords um, do not renew that gas safety certificate from the start of the tenancy to the end. Well, unfortunately, if they then have to go to court, it rather catches up with them, that huge big gap. So there is issues like that. And this is where you, as the lettings agent, can really help your landlord. And I don't think letting agents emphasise the importance of their property management enough. It is an absolutely crucial part of it. And if the landlord says you haven't done that much, that means it's because you're actually managing the property extremely well. So what he doesn't want is actually problems every week. So you're managing the, you're, you're, you're the tenant well, you're managing the property well, and that's what they should have, what they should want. So I think well, we've... Very much look forward to talking to you about that subject next. But uh, it's been really insightful listening to you. And I think uh, we've only touched on the surface of the detail that people need to know. But it's good to know that you you and your colleagues are there in Hampshire to help. Um, And I think one of the things that for our listeners is important to know is, A, you're in Hampshire, so um, things get done at slightly more uh, better rates than prime central London, I would say. But more importantly, when you're specialising in landlord and tenant, you actually get to a conclusion way faster because you're doing it so many times for so many different people that you kind of see the solution and the horizon and, and the actions that you need to take. And actually, the process becomes a lot faster. And if the process becomes faster, then obviously the loss is minimised, which is which is really important thing for people to know when they're choosing the right solicitor for the job. So thank you very much, Marvin, for speaking to us. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again about... Uh, Uh, property management. Thank you. So uh, to listen to more experts like uh, Marvin, you can head over to our website uh, or follow us on our podcast channels where we have over 70 interviews with experts like Marvin. 
plenty to learn and plenty to see. Thanks for listening to the London Property Podcast. Head over to londonproperty.co.uk and subscribe to our newsletter to receive latest updates.